Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the NFL Stock Exchange Podcast. On today's episode, the guest mock draft series is back. We have four selections for you today. Yes, four on the show, starting with the Chargers at pick 17, the Eagles back on the clock at 18, and the Saints back on the clock at 19. Then the Pittsburgh Steelers, one of the most interesting teams in this entire NFL draft, on the clock at 20. But before we get into that, let's talk about the potential of Trayvon Walker going number one overall to the Jacksonville Jaguars in this draft. Why it would be unprecedented? Some player comps, some outliers, a lot to break down. I'm Connor Rogers, joined as always by my co-host Trevor Sykema. Let's ring the bell. opening bell of the NFL Stock Exchange. I'm Connor Rogers, joined as always by my co-host Trevor Sykema. And Trevor, the guest mock draft series rolls on today. We have four picks to go through, man. We got a loaded show. Of course, we have the Chargers at 17, the Eagles at 18, and we go to the Saints now at 19 and the Steelers at 20. A loaded guest list. Daniel Popper will be picking for the Chargers. Uh, Trevor has told me he has picked Many, many years. I think he's the longest reigning guest monitor. Is that right? Tenured Ooh. guest on the series. And there's a reason why, folks. You got to listen to it. To, Excellent. To really know why. He's fantastic. Excellent. Brandon Lee Gowden uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles, Catherine Terrell for the Saints, and yep. then Chris Carter from Lockdown Steelers for the Steelers. So, loaded show today, Trevor. But before we get into the mock draft picks, Something we got to get into on hmm. the show today. A little bit of Trayvon Walker buzz going number one overall. I mean, let's just bring you in here. What was your initial reaction? Are you buying this? Do you understand it? Where are we at right now with the number one overall pick in the draft? So it's not a total surprise that we're hearing things like this. And the reason why we're talking about it today is because on Good Morning Football, Peter Schrager, he's he's one of the people that sits at the, at the desk there consistently, loves Schrags. He's awesome. He is a plugged in dude he's very plugged yeah, in around the no league doubt. talks to a lot of people he's got great sources and today on the show he said this quote everyone's inking aiden hutchinson to the jaguars but around the nfl there's talk about gm trent balky and his draft history with san francisco year after year the 49ers took players with incredible physical traits over top collegiate performers that is trayvon walker what were the he, he gave the examples alden smith over some of the other more solidified collegiate prospects that year that for the 49ers took Alden Smith. He brought up uh, Eric Armstead. He brought up uh, DeForest Buckner, a lot of different examples of where you could use 
these picks to justify potentially Trayvon Walker being the number one overall selection over Hayden, Aiden Hutchinson. And look, Walker now has the second highest odds to go number one overall. Now they're still, it, it's plus 300 for Trayvon Walker. I think it's minus 350 for Aiden Hutchinson. So, so it's long shot. clearly Aiden Hutchinson that people believe is going to go number one overall, but Walker is number two. Walker is number two in that list. Connor, I just, I can't believe we're at this point, man. I think that's the way to say it. I think that Trayvon Walker is a great prospect. I, I got to sit down and interview the dude. Love his mental makeup. Love his background. Love his character. Love uh, just, I think he is a great prospect. But when we went through the edge rusher rankings, I have him as edge six. I had him as a late second round grade on film. Knew the athletic testing was probably going to bump him up to be a first round selection. But number one overall, dude, that's... It's just, it's just it's just it's just too rich for me, man, and I can't believe that we're really entertaining this potentially being the case here. All right, before we get into that, because I have a lot to say about Trayvon Walker potentially going. Got to get it off overall. his chest. Got to yeah. get it off his chest. Uh, Got to remind you guys right now, you can get fifty percent off a PFF Elite annual subscription if you use the code Draft Fifty. That's right, Draft Fifty with three hundred sixty-five days of Elite, you can get. All the locked article content, PFF's NFL Draft Guide, that is 250-plus pages on scouting profiles. Completely unlocked Mock Draft Simulator. Obviously, Trevor and I, when every Monday show, we are going mm-hmm. through the Mock mm-hmm. Draft Simulator for our Mock Drafts. Data, grades from the entire 2021 season for next season, 2020, uh, 2022. That's promo code DRAFT50 for a 50% off PFF Elite Annual Subscription. And a reminder, PFF is launching Hutch a four-part podcast series with number one overall NFL draft prospect, maybe number one overall NFL draft prospect, Aiden Hutchinson on April 13th. The show includes interviews with Jim Harbaugh, current and former Michigan football players, key member of Aiden's family, media members, and draft analysts. I think like the guy sitting next to me, check out Hutch on April 13th. All right, back to the open of the show. You know what it is for me that with Trayvon Walker, right? It's the matter of, okay, you sit there and you go, well, we like his athleticism, right? We're, we're betting on that. Mm-hmm. Are we sitting here and forgetting that Aiden Hutchinson is a guy that at almost six foot seven, 99 percentile three cone, right? 94 Elite. percentile 20, 20, uh, 20 yard shuttle. Like the, the, it's not like he bombed the 40. Okay? Please and talk abo- about it. Please ab- talk about above it. Above average 40, 80 percentile vertical. I just, so if you're like, you look at it like that, Kayvon Thibodeau, we know what kind of athlete he is. These two guys, to me, I like Jermaine Johnson better than Trayvon Walker, but I won't go there today. I like him a lot better than Trayvon (laughs) Walker. It's just these guys, to me, have the tape. They have the production. Where with Trayvon Walker, you can look at that athleticism. You can look at the size, 272 pounds. That's all great. You probably love his run defense. There is so much projection needed for him as a pass rusher that... That is such a hard sell with the top five pick, let alone the number one overall pick. This just, to me, Trevor, feels like overthinking in a spot where you're in really dangerous territory if you miss, right? And my my stance on Trayvon Walker is he will not be a bust because he's such a high-floor run defender. He's a good athlete. He's strong. You've talked to him. Obviously, the demeanor, the work ethic, that's all there. But right now, we have never seen this lack of pass rush production drafted in this window where you and I say all the time, we think he's going to be a top three pick. We haven't seen something like this. And you bring up Alden Smith, and I know Peter Schrager did, and I totally understand the point. I'm not dismissing that he can go number one overall. 
Alden Smith had 11 and a half sacks as a red shirt freshman. Right. You can look at the sophomore season and go, oh, right. you know, he was coming off a year where he wasn't ultra productive, all these things. As a red shirt freshman, he dominated. He dominated. So there is not somebody that you can really point to and go, well, it'll work out because of this. If there is, uh, you know, prove me wrong. I, I don't see that kind of, oh, well, it worked out here and this is who we compare him to. Well, the, I mean, the closest thing we have is, you know, if you go over to mockdraftable.com and you and, and you look at Trayvon Walker and his his athletic testings, they have a column on the left that kind of compares him to other people of the past that they have in their database. And the one that he most like resembles in this conversation is Daniil Hunter. And when you look at Daniil Hunter, 6'5", 255 pounds, okay, 4'5", 40-yard dash, 36 and a half inch vertical, 130 inch broad jump, which is insane. Uh, oh, six, nine, six, nine, five, three cone, right? That's, those are all fantastic numbers. Then you go over to Trayvon Walker, six, five, 272, four, five, one, 40 yard dash. This guy ran faster than Daniel Hunter at 20 extra pounds, had basically the same vert at 36 inches, had 123 inch broad jump. So not 130, but I mean, these are just like crazy athletes. It's all in the same category. Another sub seven, three cone, six, eight, nine for Trayvon Walker. So I think that Daniel Hunter is the comparison because when you go and you look at Hunter stats, well, let's look at Trayvon Walker stats first. Okay. Two and a half sacks his first season, one sack his second season, six sacks this past year, which is clearly when he was able to play the most, but he played next to a pretty stacked defensive line. And I'm not taking anything away from Trayvon Walker. I'm just giving full context. If you go over to Daniel Hunter, you look at his three years at, at LSU, didn't have a lot of production in that first season, three sacks his, his, his second year, and then one sack his junior season. Granted, he had 13 tackles for loss. So a little bit of that production was there for him, but Daniel Hunter went, third round right Daniel Hunter was a third round pick so that that's that's what we're talking about here it's not that we can't come up with examples of where players of similar athletic profile and lack of stat production worked out in the NFL they don't go top five I can give you the examples they don't go top five they barely even go in the first round. Now you would say, okay, but there are examples of success. And I I, I agree with Great. you. Daniel, Daniel Hunter's one of the best pass rushers in the NFL when he's fully healthy. He's an incredible edge player, right? But how many guys aren't Daniel Hunter, right? How many guys aren't of that ability? And look, I, I think everybody is is betting on Trayvon Walker more than they normally would because the athletic tests were basically historic, where you say to yourself, can a player this freakishly athletic fail? And I think that's what a lot of people are kind of coming around to is that it's just impossible for this caliber of an athlete to not be good in the NFL. But again, that's a conversation that we're having for players who are late first round picks, mid first round picks. You're taking him number one overall. That's, I mean, I don't know how we got here with that, man. Even for the people who believe in Trayvon Walker the most, and I think that he's going to be a good pro. Number one overall, man, that's rich. I I think if I was in the draft room, right, because I like to present it this way. If I was in the draft room in Jacksonville, we'll say, and I I want to be clear, I don't think Jacksonville's taking Trayvon Walker number one overall. And I'm not even sure the Lions are a two, but there's there's a good chance there. Number one overall, everyone's on the board. Hutch, Thibodeau. We think they're going pass rusher, so we'll narrow it down there. And I'm the guy that's arguing against whoever in that room is saying, this is probably the guy we're taking. My question when I look them in the eyes would be, 
what is the one translatable way he wins right now as a pass rusher? And if you can answer me that, I will step aside and, and stop arguing. I, what is the answer? What is the one translatable way right now? Not he ran well at the combine. Well, he has long it, arms. He's it, strong. That's not translatable right now. It would it would it would be athletic ability. People would just tell you the burst, the bend, the the three cone, the the the, the twitchiness. You you mentioned when I read the th- the three cone to you before the show, you were like, man, I just makes sense. He just didn't. He was just wasn't that twitched up on film. And I no. think that he he has it in him. But again, you've got to be able to make the most out of that to bet on that athletic ability. So it's <sighs> and it goes back one, to expectations. Connor, number one. There you go. Expectations. You're taking him number one. You are projecting him, and you could say, "Oh, it's you know, it's not a great draft." And it's a great pass rusher draft. This is a great pass rusher draft. draft. Just because there's not a Chase Young, it's a really good pass rusher draft. You're not drafting him to be good. You're not drafting him to have eight sacks and be good against the run. Mm-hmm. That's not what you're drafting. You're drafting him to be a double-digit sack player, a cornerstone yep. defender on your defensive yep. line, a guy that offensive coordinators stay up at night and go, "Well, I don't know." I don't know what we can do. Right. Are we going to double him? Are we going to chip him all day with a tight end? Are we going to have to keep a back in pass pro just to get run over by him to give him a chance? I, I don't see it. I don't yep. see that. It's it's a it, it's going to be a long two and a half weeks here with uh, who's going number one overall. There's no lock to it. Look, we said a couple of months ago we were thankful that we didn't already know who the number one overall pick is. Maybe we're eating our words a little bit, but I, I am. I'm very excited to see who ends up being the first name called in this draft. I think it could be a handful of different guys. We think it's going to be Aiden Hutchinson, but we're only going to hear more and more of these reports. And Connor and I, are, of course, are going to be here to hopefully decipher it all for you, maybe be able to weed some things out and give you a good look at how the draft's been going. That's what we've been doing in this guest mock draft series. And before we resume it here in a couple of minutes, got to tell you guys about our new presenting sponsor on this podcast, Jock Market. That's Jock M. KT. Their motto, stop betting and start trading. It's such a cool game. It's such a great mix of daily fantasy, uh, fantasy football. And then, of course, if you're into stocks at all, it is right up your alley. Buy and sell shares of players in real time for real money while games are happening. All the shares have guaranteed cash payouts at the end of the night. Here's an example that I keep giving, which is, I think, an easy one to follow. Let's say you like Aaron Rodgers. Let's say that he's got a juicy matchup this week. You go into jock market and you go, okay, I want to buy five shares of Aaron Rodgers at $5. So you're putting $25 on the line, essentially. It's just like a regular bet. If Aaron Rodgers finishes as a top 10 fantasy player. That means that that he's going to pay out almost $20 a share or something like that. So you're getting a massive return on this for the bet. And it'll tell you whatever you bet you are placing on a player, like let's say it's $4, $5, $6. It will tell you where that player has to finish on the day for you to get your money back. So maybe maybe you're you're betting heavy. Maybe you want to buy him for $15 and it goes, okay, if you want to buy him for $15, you can get him, but that means that he's got to finish as a top 10 player or higher. If somebody outbids you for him, then you could go to them afterwards and try to rebuy the shares from them. It's such a really cool game. You got to play it to figure it out. If you deposit, uh, if you use the promo code PFF, when you deposit right now up to $100, they will give you 100% back as a match. Also, you get a free PFF Edge subscription over at jockmkt.com backslash PFF. It's the MLB is underway. NBA, NHL, their playoff runs are, uh, are, are amping up here. Check it out jock market jock mkt.com backslash pff uh should i recap the draft i feel like i have to 
Yeah, like, take it away. I feel like I, I feel like I got to do it. I feel like it's a, it's always a mouthful every time, but I need to. In the guest mock draft, up to number seventeen, which where we it, which is where we are beginning today with the Los Angeles Chargers. Number one overall, we had Aiden Hutchinson. Number two, Detroit Lions. They went Trayvon Walker. Number three, Houston Texans went Kyle Hamilton. Number four, New York Jets, Kayvon Thibodeau. Five, Giants went Charles Cross. Six, Panthers went Evan Neal. Seven, the Giants went Sauce Garner. Falcons at eight took Jordan Davis. Seahawks at nine took Derek Stingley. Jets at 10 took Iki Aquanu. Incredible haul there for the Jets. Washington Commanders at number 11, they took Drake London. Vikings at 12, they took Tyler Linderbaum. Texans again at 13, they took George Karloftis. Ravens at 14, Jermaine Johnson. And the Eagles at 15, they took Malik Willis. And then 16, Saints, they went Trevor Penning. And that brings us up to the Los Angeles Chargers at number 17. Let's get Daniel Popper on the line. Up to number 17 in the guest mock draft series. And for the Los Angeles Chargers, we have a familiar face. On for the fifth time in this series, the longest tenured guest in the guest mock draft going all the way back to locked on NFL draft. It is Daniel Popper. Daniel, we've had you. We just said this off air across two teams you were originally doing this for the jacksonville jaguars and then you flipped over with the athletic going over to cover the los angeles chargers and so man you spanned across two teams and yet your devotion to this guest mock draft pod is unwavering yeah that that really just speaks to your character my friend thank you again for joining us oh well, i appreciate that we got new teams five years new platform new hosts true that's true everything's changed it's, except for you the common, the common denominator <laughs> it's me right here ready to make the pick yeah we were talking about it too this this uh, mock you sent me is fascinating like it took me a little bit to figure out where i was gonna go because there's a few guys that just, i was i'm just not expecting to be there i've been sort of writing about all the different scenarios and um so it's fascinating but i love doing this with you every single year because as we were just talking about you get a bunch of different people picking and you get a scenario that it's really hard for anyone to, you know, write out if they're just doing it individually. So yeah. really interesting and happy to be back five years, man. We'll keep doing it. Hopefully we do it for 12 years, 15 years. We'll just keep this thing going forever. The Tom Brady of the guest, uh, the guest yeah. mock draft series right yeah. here. He's just never yeah. going to retire. We'll say I, it's not coming back and then so, we'll bring it back. <laughs> just for me. If we can't do the series, we're absolutely just going to have him on for a rogue episode and just like put it on Patreon or something. So, all right, before we get into the picks themselves, let's do a little background on the Chargers. Of course, everything that we have seen them do this offseason, how aggressive they've been, it's all centered around how damn good Justin Herbert looked last year. Because when a quarterback, a young quarterback especially, looks that good, you know the whole organization then has to put their foot on the gas pedal to make sure they make the most out of that rookie contract. So, you know, what was it like watching Justin Herbert last year? Was there a moment when you guys covering the beat were like, yo, okay, this this dude might be something special here. I know he had the four touchdown game against Kansas City early on. Was it kind of there, or maybe a little bit earlier in the season? When did you know that Justin Herbert was about to uh, take that next leap as a quarterback? Yeah, I mean, last year, obviously, the way he performed, you knew that that he was a stud. I think heading into this season, we were all interested to see how he was going to adjust to this new scheme. Um, obviously, Joe Lombardi coming over from the Saints, bringing that you know Sean Payton passing offense over here it's obviously very complex you know drew Brees did it at a high level because he's one of the greatest processors in the history of football was justin herbert going to be able to do that and they just dumped it on him early like they gave him everything in the playbook right away and i remember sitting down with justin for a one-on-one interview and he was like yeah it felt like we were drowning just because there was so much but he's that smart and he processes that well that he was able to 
you know, really acclimate himself to the offense um, and, and from the jump really played at a high level. I think you talk about a moment where you're like, okay, you know, this guy could be, you know, the best quarterback in football in the near future. It's probably that Giants game when he hit Jalen Guyton on that 65-yard touchdown Ooh, while, while getting hit. Like that moment, I, I, I was like, that's the best throw I've ever seen in my life. One of the greatest athletic feats because it's one thing to, you know, set yourself and throw it 65 yards on the money for a touchdown without getting hit. But he was getting hit by a 270-pound edge rusher as he threw it. And I think in that moment, you're like, all right, this guy can do stuff that no one else can do. And then week 18 at the Raiders – the two drives, really the three drives going into overtime that he led to bring the Chargers back in that yes. game, you're not going to see a better stretch of quarterbacking from anyone, like full stop. I mean, I went back and, and counted the number of do-or-die throws he made on those three drives, the number of fourth downs he converted. There were nine do-or-die throws where if he didn't make a completion on that play, the Chargers would have lost and their season would have been over. And so I, I think what you're looking at in terms of spinning it ahead into the offseason, you know, that moment, those drives – I think the organization realized like we have one of the best quarterbacks playing right now. He could be the best quarterback in the league. And so we have to build a complete team around him. And that has been the buzzword. It isn't just about building the infrastructure offensively in terms of the weapons, in terms of the offensive line. It's about giving him a defense that can show up and get a stop when they need him, which they couldn't do. I mean, you go back to the final play of that game, a third and four, they had to get a run stop and Josh Jacobs got seven yards in that play and the Raiders kicked the field goal to win the game. And so that's been the, the, the process this whole offseason is get him a defense that isn't one of the worst in the league. They were 26 in DVOA, 28th in EPA per play. Mm -hmm. Give him like a middle of the pack defense and you're probably in the playoffs. And that's what they went out and did uh, in free agency. You know, JC Jackson, Sebastian Joseph Day trading for Khalil Mack, just building a defense that can provide Justin Herbert with the infrastructure, not just offensively, but on both sides of the ball um, to sort of build a complete team around him. So after doing all of that, and it looks great on paper, and it's going to be a better unit, barring health, of course, you look at the offense, and for me, the thing that stands out, especially since they were able to bring back Mike Williams, is what is the situation at right tackle right now? And for you, is there somebody on the roster internally that they are higher on than the general public, or do you look at right tackle and go, they're going into the draft, that gap from pick 17 to 79 is really big, so if you don't address that in the first round, uh, there's a little bit of risk there, but there's also the question is what tackle would make it that far in the first round? So how do they view right tackle right now? And, and what do you think the the answer could be at that key spot in this division? Yeah, so you go back to that week 18 game and just, you know, the way that Storm Norton played against Max Crosby. Um, and, and I think that left a sour taste and in the team's mouth, obviously, I think in terms of Storm's performance, there were obviously bright moments. He had really solid games. I think Max Crosby is a particularly bad matchup for him. That's yeah. not going to go away, obviously, because they're playing the Raiders twice every single year because they're right. in the same division. Right. right. Um, so I think they're looking to upgrade there. Um, in terms of internal options on the roster, Matt Filer started out as a tackle with the Steelers early on in his career. He's played right tackle and played pretty well there. So I think they, they view their position as pretty flexible at this point, right? Let's say they're at 17 and one of these top four tackles falls. Obviously, that didn't happen in this mock draft, a little foreshadowing. But if, say, Trevor Penning is there at 17, I think you could easily make that pick and keep Matt Filer at left guard. Now, if they don't get a tackle in the first round, you kick Matt Filer out to right tackle. You provide some stability there. They were, they were hesitant to do that last year because they wanted Rashawn Slater at left tackle to get off to a good start in his career. So they wanted a, a solid player next to him at left guard. That's why they went out and signed Matt Filer. But now Rashawn Slater's a stud. 
Like he's going to be an, an, right. all, an all pro level tackle regardless Absolutely. of who's playing there now. So now they're like a little more open to, okay, we can move Matt Fowler to right tackle. And then all of a sudden, okay, you need a guard. You can find a guard at 79, right? Yeah. It's hard to find a tackle at 79, but you could easily find a guard at 79. Ode Bushi, who tore his ACL in week five, was playing really good football before he got hurt. He's still an option to bring back. So all of a sudden you bring back Ode Bushi, you draft a guard at 79. You have Brendan Hymas. They took him at fifth round last year. You kick Fowler out to right tackle. You have Slater. You have Corey Lindsley. It's looking okay. So I think they feel flexible as far as what they can do, and, and they'll see what happens in the first round. If a tackle's there, I fully expect them to go in that direction. But if not, I think they'll invest in guard later in the draft, kick Matt Filer out to right tackle, and sort of see what combinations work the best in terms of those two interior spots. I want to go back to defense because you mentioned a lot of the additions that they have and and how it's been kind of their their goal to make that defense a lot better, to even it out a little bit with the offense. You mentioned that if offensive tackle was on the board, maybe they go offensive tackle there, but is it basically either offensive tackle or they're going defense here at number 17 when it comes to this first-round pick? Do you expect defense to be heavily on the board for them? And I guess another question on top of that is how aggressive do you think that this team might be? Obviously, they don't have a second-round pick because they moved it for Khalil Mack, but shoot, we've seen people run simulations before where – you got the Chargers going, hey, you were aggressive in free agency, get aggressive in the draft, move up from 17, take the first round pick from next year, get somewhere around into the top 10 if there's a defensive player or an offensive tackle that you really want that might be able to fall. Do you see defense being heavily littered with their needs of where they might go in the draft? And then do you also think that they're going to be aggressive in this draft? Yeah, I, I th- just because of the Khalil Mack trade, because they gave up that capital, I think it's unlikely that they would move up and sacrifice future draft capital. I mean, you know, Brandon Staley wants to turn this roster over in his own image. And the easiest way to do that is by, by having draft picks. And I'd be surprised if they give up like a first or a second next year to try and move up in terms of the first round. I could see them going in any direction, right? Like I think defensive line is obviously on the table. If Jordan Davis gets there, I think corners on the table, but I wouldn't rule out wide receiver either. Cause we talk mm. about, okay, this is a pretty complete offense. I think the two holes are as Connor mentioned, right tackle, obviously. Um, and then speed at receiver. That's really what they're missing. We know Mike Williams can access the deep part of the field, but he does it in a different way than, say, Chris Olave or Jamison Williams would do it, right? He's the big body, 50-50 balls. And so they really are missing that speed element. They have Jalen Guyton, but, you know, Jalen Guyton isn't sort of an elite route runner. He can't really run the complete tree. He's a speed guy. He's gotten better in that area, um, but he has some inconsistent hands, and he's not, you know, the type of receiver that some of these other guys are. So. I think that there's value in the NFL in strengthening strengths. I think good teams do that. They look at something, they say, this is our strength. Let's make it even better. You saw what the what the Bengals did last year, right? I mean, they had yep. a good receiving core. They had a really good receiving core going into, into the season, but they said, okay, Jamar Chase is going to make our strength even stronger. And what they do, they, they made the Super Bowl. So the Chargers need some speed offensively. They're not just going to draft a speed guy late in the draft because Brandon Stilley has said we want complete receivers. There's going to be a couple guys there potentially that they could go with. So I could see wide receiver absolutely being a possibility. And that was really what I was mulling over here at 17 with how this mock draft shook out. Cause a couple of those guys were there where I was like, they can really make this offense a lot better and open up a new dynamic in terms of getting to the deep part of the field and having multiple options in terms of getting to the deep part of the field, the guys that do it in different ways, adding speed. So it's not, so when Jalen Guyton's on the field, it's not like opposing defense. They're like, all right, He's going deep. He's running the post. Like we know exactly what we're going to call here. So to take that away, if you have two guys on the field with that type of speed, four, three, five, whatever it is, all of a sudden it creates a whole new, whole new dynamic. Um, so I think that's, that's certainly a possibility, but you know, 
if a good defensive player is there and, and we'll get into this with, with my pick, I think that's been the focus and, and they still need to add depth pretty much at all three levels of the defense. Um, so I could, I mean, they could go edge rusher. They could go D line. They could go tackle. They could go wide receiver. I really wouldn't rule out like the only position that they're not going to take is, is quarterback. Obviously that's really sort of where they're at in terms of how they built this roster so far. So one more I'll ask you about, because I know opinions on him have been all over the place. Where is this team at with linebacker, right? And I, I think it's hard to justify taking one at 17 for as good as Devin Lloyd is, for good as N'Kobe Dean is. And, you know, it's a position traditionally you can find high-end starters in rounds two, three, four, on and on it goes. But it feels like Kenneth Murray uh, has struggled early on to, you know, after being, let's be real, a priority pick for them. They went out of their way to come up and get Kenneth Murray. So internally is there, you know, belief that that green light is going to come on for Kenneth Murray, or at least he gets this season to show that before they start to turn linebacker into a priority with how talented the edge rush is, how talented the safeties are behind them right now. Yeah. It's really a positional value thing. And Mm. you got to go back to 2020 with Brandon Staley and what he did with that Rams defense, the amount of linebacker talent he had on that team, very little linebacker talent and he created the best defense in football. And so that's, that's really how he views things. Like he feels like if he gets the right players, up front and in the secondary, he can build the best defense in football without elite, elite linebackers. And they have linebackers on the roster. Drew Tranquil yeah. is a really solid player, the, the exact yes. type of player that Staley loves at linebacker. Super cerebral, super smart, always in the right place at the right time. Not like an imposing player physically or athletically, but just knows how to play football, knows how to read gaps, knows how to penetrate, tackles really consistently. So he's a piece that they feel like they can rely on. Now he's had some injury issues, but that's like a guy that they feel like, okay, he can play linebacker for us with Kenneth Murray. So basically what happened was they, they traded up because Gus Bradley really felt like they needed a Mike linebacker. They needed like a Bobby Wagner, Fred Warner, and a guy with that type of system. And they thought that they could groom Kenneth Murray into that. And that's why they went and got Kenneth Murray. Now they had a scheme change. Kenneth Murray was doing things in that rookie year that he's just not comfortable doing, playing a ton of coverage. They were asking him to drop and play action and cover the middle of the field. And I mean, you could watch play after play after play where he was biting on play action and getting hit behind on, on, on crossers. And it was happening over and over and over again. Now in the new scheme, he was allowed to play a little more downhill. And I thought he was going to take a step forward, but he rolled his ankle in the training camp scrimmage. And then a few weeks later in week four, they were at practice on a Saturday before the Monday night game against the, the Raiders. And he was out there like just catching passes and rolled his ankle again, the other one. So he had two bum ankles the whole season. I think the Chargers look at it and say, okay, he had a lot going on in terms of injuries and that that affected his play. I think they're expecting him to be, be- to be better. They've got two other linebackers in the roster and Nick Neiman, who they took in the sixth round last year, and Eamon Agbong-Bamiga, who was an undrafted free agent. They like both those guys. I think they're definitely going to take a linebacker, but because of positional value, I just don't see it happening early in the draft. Like they have, you know, six picks in the sixth or seventh round. Insane use one of amount. those. Yeah. Right. Use one of right. those on a guy who's falling because he lacks athleticism. He doesn't have that sideline to sideline speed that teams are looking for at linebacker, but a guy that just knows how to play football, cerebral guy, high football IQ, high football character. You can find those type of linebackers in the sixth or seventh round. You throw him in that mix with those other four guys. You have the training camp. You see who comes out on top, but just from a positional value standpoint, I just don't see Brandon Silly investing like that in a linebacker early in the draft. 
That makes a ton of sense. Now, Daniel, you have set the table very well for this pick here that you're about to make at 17. A lot of a different seasoned options. vet. A lot of <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of experience. Of, doing this is yeah. true. You do. He knows how it goes. He knows how it goes. And so, you know, you mentioned a couple of different areas on defense that they might look for. Wide receiver could be very tempting. Offensive tackle not really tempting at this pick, but I think you got a lot of options here. So, at number 17, if the board falls this way, it's a very interesting board. Who do you think? you'd be taking for the Chargers? I'm taking cornerback Trent McDuffie out of Washington. Um, Pretty surprised he was there at 17. I would not expect that to happen considering how valuable cornerbacks are in today's game. He's just a competitive player. He's a willing run defender. He can play inside. He can play outside. Solid man-to-man coverage like that. And I know he's a little undersized, but look at what happened with Asante Samuel Jr. last year. Fell into the second round undersized can he play corner in the nfl is he strong enough he's just a competitor like he's just a competitor and you want guys on your football team that play that way especially you know at cornerback even if they're a little bit undersized if they play with that type of edge they're going to be successful in the nfl and and i see a lot of similarities between asante samuel jr and trent mcduffie because asante can play inside and outside now they had him outside all of last season but he's, he might be their slot corner this year. They're going to sort of see how it plays out, see how the draft plays out. But they feel like he can play inside, like with Rashawn Slater. They wanted him to get off to a solid start as a rookie, so they put him where he was comfortable. But he was playing inside in the slot in training camp, matching up one-on-one with Keenan Allen and winning reps. So he can do it. Um, and he's just – I think Trent McDuffie fits exactly what Staley's looking for in a corner. Now, if a guy like Derek Stingley falls, obviously the, the athletic traits jump out to you. And sure, there's, right. There's a reason that the Chargers had their entire defensive staff at the LSU Pro Day. Um, but mm. yeah, but, um, I'm going with Trent McDuffie here and, and I'll go back to this, right? Worst third down defense in the league last year. A lot of that was run defense because they were getting into way too many third and shorts. but when they did get into third and longs, they just didn't have the cornerback depth to hang with top wide receivers. You can go back to the Vikings game when Justin Jefferson, and Adam Thielen just torched Javon Campbell over and over and over and over again on third and eight and plus. And that was because they had some injuries at corner. Staley is going to be adding as many corners as possible because he needs to deal with the attrition at the position. I don't think the team is very high on Michael Davis anymore. He's their third corner right now. If you draft Trent McDuffie, all of a sudden Michael Davis has to be in a competition for playing time. That's going to raise everyone's play and makes you makes it so the Chargers don't have to rely on Michael Davis as like a key piece in this defense because he really struggled to acclimate to the scheme last year. Obviously, he was playing a lot of cover three in Gus Bradley's scheme. He was asked to do a lot more in Staley's scheme in terms of the number of coverages he was playing, and he didn't really rise to the occasion. They're going to be looking to add cornerbacks because of what happened last year on third down. And so I think it just makes a ton of sense. Now, what I will say here is took every fiber of my being to not draft Jamison Williams here. And I could totally, I mean, (laughs) I would love that. He is exactly what the chargers need. Like he is exactly what the chargers need. And and they have enough offensively, especially after drafting Josh Palmer last year, they have enough to get through the first five, six weeks of the season, give Jamison Williams as much time as he needs. Right to get back from, from a torn ACL. They don't need him to be there right away. And then I also think that they have to start thinking about life after Keenan Allen, right? They have an out in that contract after next year. He's still playing at a really high level, but if you draft Jameson Williams, Josh Palmer is that, that played in the slot last year when Keenan Allen was out with COVID. He played the Keenan Allen role in the slot, caught a touchdown. He has that type of route running ability. He has the type of size that this offensive staff really loves to have in the slot. So say Keenan Allen has a down year, so they want to, they want to move off of that huge contract that they gave him. They can do that now. Move Josh Palmer inside. They have Jamison Williams and Mike Williams on the outside. That looks pretty good. So, 
it was hard for me not to do that just because the level of player he is. I, I would be shocked if he's actually there at 17, but sticking with the theme of the off right. season, it's yeah. been about defense. It's been about improving the talent across the board. Trey McDuffie adding to that cornerback room, adding to that secondary, I think would get Staley to the place in the secondary where he's really comfortable in terms of calling the types of defenses that he wants to call, which he wasn't able to do last year because of the talent level. Folks, that's why he's a five-year vet on the guest podcast <laughs> series right there. He lays it all out for you. He answers the questions that you want to know the answers to before we even get to ask him. And that's why he is the longest tenured guest that we have had on this series. Go follow him on Twitter. Uh, it's Daniel R. Popper, right? I believe on Correct. Twitter, right? Okay, yes, just wanted correct. to make sure I got the R in there. Everybody go follow him. Read his work over at The Athletic. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us, man. This is a blast. Thanks for having me, guys. And looking forward to year six, baby. Let's go. That's right. There, there we go. There Let's go. Here we go. Philadelphia Eagles back up on the clock here in the guest mock draft series at number 18 and joining us to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles and make a selection here in this guest mock draft. We have Brandon Lee Gowden, who is the editor in chief for Bleeding Green Nation. Brandon, I know that you have a lot of titles, but I wanted to use the chief one because anytime chief is in a title, I feel like that's the one that I have to say for people. So uh, thank you. I hope that was the right title for you and appreciate you joining us, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. And yeah, it's always good when you can just make up a title for yourself and then make <laughs> people say it when then you go on their show and then they have to say it. It's great. And yeah, look, I 100% agree. And you, again, using a title with Chief in it, man, it was great. It was a great it was a great choice by you, which sounds, which shows sound judgment, which I know you're going to have on this pick as well. Let's talk about why the Eagles are selecting twice in this mock draft here. It's because of the trade, right? It's they're they're only picking twice instead of three times. They make the trade with the New Orleans Saints. They get some extra draft capital for next year. What was your initial thought when you saw that the trade went down? And honestly, what did you think about what they got in return and the assessment of what they're trying to do overall? So the Eagles did exactly what I think almost everyone thought they had to do, which is get some kind of Jalen Hurts insurance policy. Because, okay, three first-round picks this year, that sounds great. But, and it's a big, like, if, what if Jalen Hurts doesn't prove to be the guy in 2022 and all of a sudden you're there in 2023 NFL draft and you only have one first-round pick and all these other teams have two, four other teams actually have two. Uh, so they did exactly what they needed to do, and I think you have to give a lot of credit to Howie Roseman because I think other teams had a sense that the Eagles kind of wanted to move down and get that extra first-round pick. Right. And if you look at the history of teams trading back in the Eagles range where they were in like the middle of the first round, it's not just like a guarantee you can always move down and pick up that future first as it's easier, obviously, at the top of the first round. So I think you have to give Howie a lot of credit. All right, so let's start with the situation you already presented in. The Eagles had picked already in this mock draft at 15. Ben Solak took Malik Willis, who fell to 15, which puts you in an interesting situation now, knowing that that quarterback has been taken. One, how do you view that pick and that dynamic with Jalen Hurts? Obviously, Malik would sit this year. Are you of the belief that if the right quarterback just falls all the way to Philadelphia this year, they take them now? Or do you think it's build as much as you can around Jalen Hurts, and if it really falls out or doesn't go where you want it to in terms of his development, then you definitely look next year. We'll leave it to Ben Select to uh, complicate things for me here. My, <laughs> yes, my absolutely. I knew um, he was going to when he said that pick. I was like, all right, well, our next guest might have a little bit of work cut out for him. Really appreciate it, Ben. Uh, no, I, I get it, though. I mean, it's really not irrational. The Eagles, why is Jalen Hurts on the Eagles roster? because they took him with the number 52 overall pick when they had just signed Carson Wentz to a contract extension 
to be one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL, not right. that long prior. So it's really not insane to think they could do that. The Eagles are doing a lot of pre-draft uh, homework on Malik Lewis and in some other quarterbacks as well. They're having Matt Corral in for a visit. So it's really not like out of the realm of possibility by any means. I'm not going to hate on Ben for that, but uh, I, I do think, you know, it's an upside play obviously. And I think having these multiple first round picks, you kind of maybe are just, really putting the, or you're really just banking on that flexibility and just shooting for the upside. Um, so I think it's within reason again of happening. Um, I don't think it's necessarily the most likely thing just because it seems like for now, at least they're going to, you know, ride with Jalen Hurts for one more year and then mm -hmm. see how that goes, maybe pivot next year. So I think that's the situation uh, as it looks right now. When you look at the pass catchers on this team, I think back when the Eagles obviously had three first round picks, it was very easy to say, okay, one of them is going to be a pass catcher. But now that they only have two, now that, I don't know, quarterback might be in the discussion for them, I'm starting to wonder how much of a need is wide receiver for them. And basically my question is, how out is this team on guys like Jalen Rager, guys like J.J. Mm. Ortega-Whiteside, right? I mean, they don't have Zach Ertz anymore, so it's just Dallas Goddard at tight end. And so, like, where does this team, where do you believe this team believes they are with wide receiver i think they're not satisfied in terms of they tried to trade for calvin ridley and obviously he got suspended for the whole year so that right. didn't work out right um they tried to go after alan robinson they tried to go after robert woods they reportedly had some interest in brandon cooks before he signed an extension with the texans last week so i don't think it's for a total lack of effort uh when it comes to the inaction they've had at receiver other than signing zach pascal who many eagles fans will be hoping is not a top two or three receiver on this team this year um so i think again they've tried but my whole thing about this has been okay it's going to be tougher to attract free agent receivers especially ones who want to boost their value especially come in on that one-year deal and try to hit the market again next year when you're coming off a season and when you had one of the very heaviest runoff offenses in the nfl like to not have that passing volume i think was a red flag for a lot of those receivers and, and hard to attract those guys so in that sense I must think the draft is the perfect opportunity where the players don't really get much of a say and have to go where they're drafted. And uh, I think that's the spot where they're going to be looking to add a receiver. This offensive line traditionally has been one of the better units in football, especially as a run blocking unit. Like you said, a very run heavy team, but you could start to see them getting aging in certain spots here and definitely having some question marks going forward with future spots. Do you think they look at this unit as it's still really good right now and we'll cross that bridge when it becomes a problem or do you think they're going to operate in a sense of we're going to need somebody here in the first couple of rounds even if they have to sit this year to start thinking for the future the Eagles love building through the trenches so it's hard to like rule out that they're going to yeah. do it in the first round i tend to think that if they're smart about it they'll realize they have a really good offensive line coach and jeff stoutland and you might not necessarily need to spend all those premium resources in the offensive line as much as you might be able to be like, hey, our offensive line coach can kind of make more out of less. So let's kind of just not invest the first round pick there. And let's, you know, maybe use that on another position that we're not as good at evaluating or, or we, we struggle to kind of land that impact kind of player. Obviously, Jordan Mailata is an exception in many ways, but like that's a seventh round pick. Didn't even play football. Uh, Jeff Stoutland was able to coach him up. And obviously my lot of deserves a lot of credit too, for taking the development that he did, but I think they have enough there currently in the starters and also kind of behind the scenes, some of their depth pieces where they don't really need to force a pick there. If there's an offensive lineman, he's like head and shoulders, the best player on the board, take him. Sure. But if it's close, I wouldn't put that there.
What about corner and, and, and safety? The the defensive back group in Philadelphia. It, it seems as though when we do mock drafts, like if a Derek Stingley falls to them, it's normally like, okay, well, we'll have Derek Stingley go to the mm-hmm. Philadelphia Eagles or maybe a Trent McDuffie, but people go, okay, the, the size of Trent McDuffie, are they going to be worried about it? Honestly, it feels like if there's a team that wouldn't be worried about it, it would be the Eagles. But where do you think the level of need is on this team for both corner and secondary? I could be wrong about this, but my theory on corner for the Eagles, and you look at kind of uh, Eagles defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon's background, and kind of like I was just talking there about Jeff Stoutland with offensive linemen, I think Gannon typically has gotten more out of less at cornerback. I mean, you look at Xavier Rhodes, I think everyone thought his career was over when he was struggling with the Vikings. Um, he got cut, he ends up in Indy, and then he bounces back. And I remember uh, Chris Ballard actually specifically credited Jonathan Gannon at the time for that turnaround. I think you look at the Eagles last year, they were able, able to sign Steven Nelson off the street, like right before training camp. And he stepped in and he was pretty solid for them. So I don't know again, that they need to force a pick there as much as I would say, like at wide receiver, that's a position like where their options are thinner and they kind of right. just might have to go for that. Uh, if, if the corner like Stingley is there and again, head and shoulders above everyone else, I think they can do that, but it's not something where like, well, we have a whole here, so we need to force that. Steven Nelson, who I mentioned, by the way, is still out there. All right, Brandon, let's put you on the clock. You already had this draft for the Eagles walk away with Malik Willis at 15. You are now in the driver's seat yet again, just a couple of picks later. Uh, we've talked about maybe the need for wide receiver. We've talked about an aging offensive line, a really interesting team with two first-round picks. What direction are you going here? So if Jordan Davis was still on the board here, I'd be tempted to do it. I know he's not, mm. so I can't do it. We didn't talk about defensive line, but I just wanted to throw that in there. He's one of the guys I'm really intrigued by. But if it's not Jordan Davis for me, the other guy I really want there in the first round for the Eagles is Jamison Williams. I think there's a lot of potential there. I think there's a lot of upside. The Eagles need help at receiver. Uh, you have Malik Willis here now on this theoretical team. Imagine him launching deep balls down to Jamison Williams. That's something I can get behind. So I didn't ask you this when we were when I asked you about wide receiver, but do you think there is more of a speed profile that they're they're, they're going for? Like obviously they have Jalen Rager and he's been a disappointment. Ortega Whiteside mm-hmm. has as well. These are two different styles of receiver though. A more speed one with Rager, a more size one with Ortega Whiteside. Do you think they'd be leaning one or the other that they might prioritize at this at this round of the selection if they're gonna pick a wide receiver? I think the Eagles got burned a little bit by that uh, with Rager because they really wanted to force, we need a speed guy. So we don't need Justin Jefferson. He's a volume target. He's a slot guy. We, we don't need that. We need speed. Mm-hmm. So I think they might've learned their lesson from that. At least I would, I would hope so. And think that it's kind of just getting the best overall talent, a dynamic playmaker, um, the best receiver possibly they can get kind of not worrying a lot about fit. I mean, in a perfect world, I think they could really use a prototypical X kind of guy. Cause you look at the receivers, Quez Watkins, Devonte Smith, not the biggest dudes, but I think it's hard to pass up on pure talent like this where they are. And I think they might've learned from that and they go in that direction. Malik Willis and Jamison Williams. What do you think about it, Connor? That's the one, two for the Eagles here in this guest mock. I like it. Jamison Williams has been one of my favorite mock picks. Um, you know, the Eagles, Jamison Williams connection in, since we've started mock drafts. I just think it's the right compliment in that receiver room. And what he does even without targets coming his way for that run game, you see guys playing 10 yards off him all the time. You see safety shading that way. He would cause so much attention even when the football is not in his hands that for a run game that was excellent last year, it could become even better. 
exclusively Alabama wide receivers. That's going to be the Eagles' motto from this point forward. And uh, look, Alabama's a talent factory, so I don't think that's a bad thing there. Uh, follow him on Twitter, at Brandon Gowden. He is the, the editor-in-chief, had to say it again, Chief. at Bleeding yes. Green. Go read all of his work over there as well. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Now we're up to pick number 19. It is the New Orleans Saints once again. Nick Underhill took Trevor Penning, number 16 for the Saints. But as we know now, they have two first-round selections. So to help us with the second first-round selection for the New Orleans Saints, we have Catherine Terrell, who is here from The Athletic. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us on our guest mock draft pod. Thanks for having me on. I feel like the Saints have made it a little more interesting in the last week. Um, they always do, and there's a million different ways they could go this year, which is why the draft is going to be um, kind of fun in, uh, what is it now, just a little over two weeks. Oh, it's not going to be kind of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's <laughs> going to be a lot of fun for a lot of different reasons, and the Saints are absolutely one of those reasons. Obviously, as I said before, they were only selecting once, now selecting twice with a nice little move with the Philadelphia Eagles, but I'm curious to just open up this little Q&A here, Catherine. What did you think of the trade? Did you guys hear that something like this might be coming, that they were really looking to make a splash in the draft order or anything like that, and so when the news went down, what was your initial thoughts of it? I mean, it was a surprise and not a surprise at all. The Saints love trading up. I feel like every year fans say, well, why don't they trade back and get more picks? The Saints never trade back and get more picks. They love uh, making these big trades. Usually they're on draft day. I think people remember a few years ago, they traded a first-round pick to move up for Marcus Davenport. Uh, 2017, they had two first-round picks and, and uh, selected Marshawn Lattimore and Ryan Gramchek, which ended up you know, being the best, one of the best drafts they've ever had. And yes. so... You know, I guess the hope is another draft like that, um, except this year it seems all focused on offense. So I see this big trade, and I think uh, my head was spinning for a second trying to process those numbers. And, yeah, no part of me was surprised that the Saints did this. Um, I think everyone always wants to say, if it's a big trade, it's for a quarterback, right? And maybe it is. But I don't necessarily think that the Saints are set on getting a quarterback this year. It could happen. But I don't think just because they make this big move that it has to be for a quarterback, especially not in this draft class. Catherine, that's where I wanted to start. I look at it with Jameis Winston, and I think it's overlooked that he had 14 touchdowns, three picks through seven games last year. The team was winning with him at quarterback. The money, while not crazy, it does show a belief in him as a starter. Where are they with Jameis Winston right now? Do they look at it and go, we don't need to panic and go up in a bad quarterback draft and try to get someone just to get someone? Does this regime believe they can win at a high level with Jameis under center? Well, I think it's limited belief in Jameis. And okay. I think that's kind of highlighted by the fact that they went and tried to get Deshaun Watson. And then when you break down the numbers of his contract, you they actually can get out of the contract. <laughs> well, I say get out. It's funny. It's a two-year deal, but it has all those voidable years. But, you know, they could decide to move on after a year and really have limited uh, repercussions for the salary cap. So it seems to me like the actually thought Jameis was starting to get better. I think Jameis played a little cautious at the beginning. You know, he came into that year. He'd been a backup. Um, so many people were so focused on the 30 interceptions. So I think he kind of played a little within himself because of that. And, and maybe uh, Sean Payton wanted him to. But as the year was going on, I thought he was kind of coming into his own and then he got hurt. So, yeah, I think they can win with Jameis. I think they think that too. 
but I don't think they're set on him being the starter of the future. I think he has to prove that to them. So yeah, maybe they take a quarterback in this year's draft class. Maybe they don't, but one thing I think they won't do, and I don't think they want to do is to get a quarterback just to get a quarterback and then be stuck with someone that they reached for. But the big thing is now they have no first round pick next year. So um, very interesting to me. So if Jameis is into not being the guy, what happens next year? I don't know. I, that's right. why I kind of think it's fascinating. You know, you, you mentioned people still talk about the 30 interceptions. Well, I watched every single one of them, Catherine, cause I was covering the Buccaneers at the time. So I watched like every single one of them up until the very last one, which was actually a pick six in overtime to end the season. It was just beautiful. I mean, couldn't have, couldn't, could not have ended more. But can't, wait, can't but write that any you, better. You just, you just truly can't. I, I've always said Jameis Winston is the most entertaining ticket in sports. That's, I mean, think, think whatever you want of him. He's the most entertaining ticket in sports. So, you know, obviously Sean Payton is gone now. And you mentioned kind of where this team might be. Are, are they going to trade for a quarterback that they think might be a little bit more of a rebuild for them or maybe go for an offensive tackle to immediately replace Teron Armstead? But where do you think this team believes they are? Because Sean Payton is out, but Dennis Allen, Pete Carmichael, those guys have been there for a long time since. So it, it's not like a lot is necessarily changing. Do they still believe that they can be in the hunt for maybe not a division title with the Buccaneers, but a playoff spot and be a playoff team. Are they really looking to get these wins this year as opposed to using these two first-round picks as more rebuilding tools? I think the Saints fully believe it's possible for them to win this year. I think maybe things have changed a little bit with Tom Brady coming back. I think that they were pretty happy that he wasn't as was, uh, were many teams, <laughs> but uh, you know, looking around the division, the Falcons have a lot of issues. The Panthers have issues. So I think the Saints think, Hey, we can still compete. I mean, they look at it as they probably should have been in the playoffs last year. They had every single thing go wrong that could possibly go wrong. Um, one of the biggest being they thought they were going to have Michael Thomas and all of a sudden he doesn't play. That's their best receiver. Uh, all of a sudden their kicker, Will Lutz is supposed to come back and, and does it. And, and some people might not think that was a big deal, but I think a lot of games actually came down. Um, I, there's games they could have won if they'd had Will Lutz. So those are big things. And then the COVID game. So they think, Hey, we were, we probably should have been in the playoffs and maybe we could have made a run. If, if we had been in the playoffs, we started four quarterbacks. So I think that's their mindset. I think they think they can compete this year. Their defense uh, still should be very good, even with Malcolm Jenkins retiring. The big thing is the offense. Uh, they need Jameis to, to play well. They need their receivers to play well. They had no receivers last year, and I think their offense was, um, I, I guess, somewhat of a disaster. I was trying to think of how to say it nicely, but honestly, I mean, <laughs> watching that Bucks game, they won, but that was painful. So with all that being said, yeah, they're probably right around where they were last year. They have a few more players healthy. I think that they're still like a middle-of-the-road team who could probably make a run, and I think that's what they believe. Catherine, looking at this roster, it's it's really good on paper. I mean, especially you said it with the defense. It's really easy to pick out the holes. It simply seems like sure. another wide receiver, and we know the glaring one at left tackle with Teron Armstead going to Miami. Do they look at this situation as, and in this guest mock draft, we've obviously had a tackle come off the board to the Saints, but they've had an anchor at left tackle. They've had a top three left tackle in the league for a long time now. Is there any chance that they can even get more aggressive and move up for one of the top tackles that are projected to go in the top 10? Or do they think 
we have somebody on the roster that we think can get by along with a rookie if we sit and wait. Where is the approach to address such a glaring hole there? I think they have a young player that could have potential in Landon Young, but he only played one game and then he was hurt halfway through the game. So all you, that's all there is right now. There's potential. And mm-hmm. he's he and Ryan Ramchak are the only tackles on the roster, I believe. So um, it's not just a hole. Like, as you said, like it's a, it's a glaring hole. Yeah. So I think in some way it's got to be addressed in the draft. It, it would be a very Saints move, I think, to move up and, and get one of the top tackles and then surprise everyone who thought they were only doing it to get a quarterback. But, you know, people who think that that would be a stupid move just don't understand, like, how important it is to have a left tackle in the future. I think it'd be a great move, personally. I mean, I would understand it. I I really would. I mean, you you don't – they got lucky with Teron Armstead or had really, really good – they got lucky and had great scouting on him and got him in the middle of the draft, and Mm -hmm. he ended up being fantastic for them, but – and they've had they've had a lot of success with the middle rounds um, in their offensive line. Actually, they don't really draft offensive linemen in the first round that much. Um, but they did get Ramchek, and he's been great. Uh, they had Andres Pete, but I don't think Andres Pete ended up being what they wanted him to be based on where they drafted him. Uh, so they don't do it a lot. But if the guy is there and they think, hey, that's our guy for the next decade, then why not move to get him? Well, we've got Trevor Penning off the board to the Saints. Nick Underhill took him at number 16 there. So here at number 19, if the board falls the way that it has here, it it sounds like we're still sticking offense, but where would you be going for the New Orleans Saints in this mock draft here? Well, it's kind of funny considering we just spent all this time talking about uh, linemen, but, you know, I would go wide receiver here. Um, I've picked Chris Olave many times for the Saints when we come up to these mock drafts. And I think with the receivers, it's kind of, pick who, who do you like around that spot? And I think there's a lot of options. Um, I personally like that pick. I think he would fit, fit in really nicely next to Michael Thomas. It seems like they already have a relationship and, and get along, which is really key, especially since Thomas hasn't been around much the last two years. And I right. think everyone knows the roller coaster with that. Um, but yeah, it's someone that could come in and play right away. I mean, as I said, uh, with Thomas or without Thomas, they desperately need wide receiver help they no longer have a hall of fame quarterback that can elevate these receivers to, to being better than they are. If that makes sense. I feel like Drew Brees kind of elevated everyone in the room and we don't have that anymore. You have to spend the draft capital or the free agency money to go get those top tier wide receivers because you don't have a quarterback going to make them better. Um, so I'll, Actually, I just did a mock draft, and uh, Penning and Alave were my two picks, and so that's why I'm going with Alave now. See, it's, it's all working out. There we uh, go. That that's beautiful. I love it. I love it. You mentioned Michael Thomas, and Connor and I actually talked about this on the show. I can't remember if it was last week, the week before. We talked about him as potentially a guy who might be moving, right? We saw Tyreek Hill move. We saw uh, Devontae Adams move, and we're like, oh, maybe he could be the next guy out because he hasn't been super happy in New Orleans. But then we looked at his contract and we realized it's not exactly the easiest contract to move. Where, uh, Where is the team and Michael Thomas at this point in their relationship? 
Well, I thought the second they restructured that contract, that meant they were keeping him around because then it made it basically impossible to move him. I think things are actually really good now, um, or they're on the way to being good. It seems like it. If you go look at his social media, you know, all he does is say nice things about the Saints, and that certainly wasn't the case last summer. Dennis Allen flew out personally to California to talk with them, and I think he tried to play it off as he does that with everyone. Um, You know, he's been around a long time, but it's just different. He's been on the defense side of the ball he hasn't probably had that many interactions with michael thomas and he admitted that but so i I asked him that at the owners meetings and he said no thomas was the only one he flew out to personally meet with so he said it wasn't clearing the air and i obviously i don't know what their conversation entailed but it does things like it does seem like things are good right now now whether that lasts or not i don't know it does seem like he's still going through the rehab process and he's still getting healthy uh, Saints actually, you know, they opened their offseason program early because of a new coach. So there's going to be OTAs before we know it. And I guess we'll see if he participates. But it has been a long time since we've seen a healthy Michael Thomas. You have to go all the way back to September 2020 and wow. that season opener, right. uh, which is crazy. You know, he played through the ankle um, a lot during 2020, but he hasn't been fully healthy in two years. So I'm um, really excited to see what that might look like. Connor, I know that we kind of joke around about the Saints receiving group, but look, uh, <laughs> a, a healthy Michael Thomas and a Chris Olave right there with Jameis's mentality throwing him the ball. That's a lot of stats and probably a lot of scores there for New Orleans there. Absolutely love it. The Alave fit is you know tremendous. A guy that gets open, he could do it at all three levels. We've seen him win vertically. Uh, there's no route polish needed when he gets there. He can come in and really be a guy right away for them. So I think Catherine is all over it. And if Michael Thomas comes back refreshed, healthy, right mindset, that's a really nice number one and two for Jameis in this offense that absolutely needed the help at wide receiver. All right, there we go. At number 19, it's Chris Olave off the board. That gives the Saints a package of Trevor Penning and Chris Olave. Go follow her on Twitter, cat underscore Terrell. Thank you so much for joining the guest mock draft with us. Go go read all of her work at The Athletic, too. I wanted to make sure that I got it in there. Catherine does such an incredible job covering that team. Catherine, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, here we go. Rounding out the top 20 for the guest mock draft series. It is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Who knows if the Steelers are going to be picking at 20 when it's all said and done. I'm sure we're going to get into that discussion with our guest, Christopher Carter. He is a multi-reoccurring guest here on the Guest Mock Draft Series, and it's because he brings the knowledge, he brings the heat. Chris, thank you so much for joining us here again. Uh, Host of the Locked on Steelers podcast. Forgot to mention that. Forgot to give you your props there, but appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for having me, guys. It's always fun to talk mock drafts when it comes to the Steelers. There you go. There you go. So, all right, let's... Not to uh, not to open up old wounds, but I think I got to talk about this. You had the Ben Roethlisberger farewell season last mm-hmm. year, and it mm-hmm. just it felt like every week everybody who was outside of Pittsburgh was like, "What are they doing? Why are they making it? What are they? Why do they keep doing this to themselves?" So I'm I'm curious. Before the year even started, with Roethlisberger coming back for a final year, and then obviously getting into how the year was going, how he wasn't really able to do the same things that he used to be able to do. What was it like, kind of watching that season, covering that season, and and where the Pittsburgh Steelers ultimately are now with the quarterback position? It was more of a situation where, like you know, a lot of fans didn't. Feel- that way but it was more of a situation when you're covering the team it's like 
you also have to understand where they were kind of pinned into because it wasn't necessarily just their decision of that season. It was the decision to give him an extension shortly before he tore his his elbow, uh, and that and that took him out of the 2019 season. The problem with with, with if, if the Steelers had tried to move on from Ben Roethlisberger, one, you would have been stuck with a ton of dead a dead, dead cap space that year, anyways, and then you would have been paying basically for two quarterbacks to play. But then two, also. They wanted to give the guy a proper send off. They wanted mm-hmm. it to be, to be, and they found a way to compete and get to the playoffs and get some of those young guys' experience and the taste of the playoffs in doing so, as well as sweeping two of the teams in their division. I, I looked at it as more of a situation where, like, hey, we got to go through this. Let's see what happens. Let's see who emerges. If some of these offensive line guys come up, they didn't. They liked what they saw to Najee Harris. They love what they saw to Pat Frymuth. Now they want to see if Stephon Tewitt can get back and if they can sort of start to repair some things in the first step of the post-Ben Roethlisberger era. So, Chris, I look at this team right now, and there's so much noise around quarterback, and Mm -hmm. I'm sure we're going to get to that in this conversation. But getting away from the obvious what is maybe an underrated need on the Steelers that you see people always missing and it might not be the first round selection but you look at it and go man that's an area that they have to come out of the draft much much better for this team to survive I really think cornerback is something that people shouldn't overlook with this team. When you look at how, yes, they brought back Akella Witherspoon. Yes, they went and got Levi Wallace. Yes, they have Cam Sutton. But you need a true CB1 on this roster, especially when you're about to be going up against Jamar Chase for the next yeah. 10 years with Joe Burrow throwing him the ball. Right. You need you need someone who you can put on the outside and has a good chance to become that potential number one cornerback who locks down receivers, plays really well in man coverage. You can leave him out there in solo coverage, and he's going to be physical, aggressive, and play wide receivers in a way that's going to allow you to say, hey, we, we, he'll erase that part of the field for us, and we'll let the rest of the, rest of the team work. I think this team has a lot of CB2s on the roster. They need a CB1, you know, and yes, offensive line still a still a, still a factor. Quarterback still a factor. They they really only have two wide receivers on the on the roster with considerable experience. All of that is in play, but cornerback I think needs to still be a focus for this team to build moving forward. You mentioned quarterback there, and I want to hone in on that a little bit. As of right now, I think Mitchell Trubisky is slated to be the starter. And for as much as the guys in Buffalo praise what Mitchell Trubisky was for them last year as a backup. He didn't play. It was Josh Allen who was playing. And so he might have done all of the little things right behind the scenes, but he didn't play in any games. And so maybe he's in a better headspace as the former number two overall pick. Maybe he could have a bounce back. But where are the Steelers right now, do you think, when it comes to that quarterback position? How confident are they right there? Because we've also heard, of course, the rumors. Mike Tomlin loves Malik mm-hmm. Willis. You know, mm-hmm. the, the the Pittsburgh connection with Kenny Pickett there. Do you think it's more likely than not that this ends up being a selection of quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers, whether it's here at 20 or maybe somewhere higher in the draft if they want to get aggressive? I just don't see this as the year of them making an aggressive move at quarterback. If Malik Willis falls to them at 20, they'll do a dance and they'll go get him. I just don't see that happening. I think there's too many teams that are going to want to take a quarterback, but what I see the the rest of the quarterback class, Kenny Pickett, and listen, I covered pit football. I saw this man do the fake slide in person when I was in Charlotte, thinking, "What the heck was that?" Just like the rest of the country <laughs> did. Um, but but I, I and I love Kenny Pickett's leadership. You know, there's several things about Pitt's season where he was the guy when they lost to Western Michigan that said, "No more of this. We're not losing anymore." Get uh, to these type of games, and that got everyone else on point. If you're drafting Kenny Pickett, you want the leadership, you want the ability to see the field, but he doesn't have the cannon arm. 
that you want in your in your future superstar quarterback. He's a little bit older than, than they like. The Steelers aren't gonna are, aren't gonna take him. They want guys that are that are either 20, 21, 22 in in that range. So I, I, I take Kenny Pickett off. Desmond Ritter is an interesting prospect. I still just see this isn't the year for them to make that move at quarterback unless that primo number one guy, which they see in Malik Willis, falls to them. I think that a more a more uh, a depth move, a, more, a move that would more fit what they're trying to do at quarterback because they want to find that heir to Ben Roethlisberger, but they don't want to rush into it. Would be to wait till next year, which is a much bigger quarterback class. Just looking at it right, looking at it right now, what it projects to be, and if you fill all the holes on the roster this year, if you fix the offensive line, if the defense can become an elite group and you're sitting there saying, okay, you're okay with your wide receivers, you're okay with your running game and your defense, then you can say, you know what, we can afford giving up multiple draft picks to move up and get aggressive and go get that, the quarterback that we think is the guy of the future. I just, I know that Mike Tomlin, he's been visiting all these quarterbacks. He does it every year. Don't ever, don't ever let anyone that phase you. This guy loves pro days. He lives for this part of this part of this year. He loves to travel and meet and talk to these players and get dinners with their coaches and everything. They're not just taking a quarterback just to take a quarterback this year. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they fell in, they fell in love with some guy, but I think that they're taking a player who's going to be able to, to fill an important roster spot and be a pillar player moving forward at a key position to make them more like what the 49ers and the Titans have been of late with so-so quarterback play, but you know, solid defense, solid run game. Let those parts of the game be what keep, like what carries the Steelers at least for 2022. So, Chris, here's one for you that is so fascinating with the Steelers that has really not as much to do with the players in this trap, but the long-term outlook of this franchise. They've been running an extensive GM search, maybe the most extensive GM search I've ever seen. I mean, they've interviewed double-digit candidates. Uh, I've said for a long time they have an excellent in-house candidate in Brandon Hunt, a guy that can step in and take over that job, and I don't think they would lose any stride at all. So do you think this potential, I don't want to say definite, potential transition phase also impacts the draft where you're not going to be trading a million picks to come up into the top 10 for a quarterback or where you mm. kind of just keep things steady and keep building the roster. How do you see the GM search impacting how the end of this month goes down? Well, I, I know some people have said that Kevin Colbert wants to go out with a bang and he wants to get the quarterback for the future. That's not, But Kevin Colbert's MO has never been yeah. about m making the big splash. He wants to be able to, to keep this, the franchise steady. And that's why I see this being the move. Because also, guess who's been with them on a lot of these pro day visits? Brandon Hunt. Yep. He's been going on. I, I, and I know there's this extensive search and they've talked to Lewis Riddick and everybody else. It's all smokescreen. I'm telling you, they're picking. They're picking Brandon Hunt. Just, just my read on the things. This is a, Brandon Hunt is a guy who learned from Bill Nunn himself, the man, the scout that went and found all those superstars in historically black colleges back in the '70s that built the suit, the Super Steelers that won four Super Bowls in six years back then. He learned under him. He's been Kevin Colbert's right hand man. He spent time outside the organization, came back to it. All the things line up for him being the guy that kind of replaces Colbert, along with Omar Khan kind of taking the step up as more of a financial you know, wizard that he is and getting a, a sort of a promotion there, but Hunt still being the personnel guy. Now, how that impacts their, their decisions, I see Kevin Colbert saying, I don't want to bankrupt 
Brandon's first ever NFL draft next year. Right. He's going to be on the process with me. I want us to be steady. We could get some really important young pieces that they, that can be, you know, under contract for four or five years. And when their, their, their contracts are up, then we're saying, okay, they're 24, 25 years old. You, if, if you like them, keep them around and you got them for the, for the rest of their prime. If you don't, okay, recycle them. But that's why I see this being a draft. They don't get aggressive. They don't go up and go get, you know, you know that, and go get Malik Willis at seven or something like that. They're staying right at 20. If they trade up, they might trade up three to four spots if like a okay. guy like Jordan Davis starts to creep down to them. So that, this is a good segue into you talked about corner being a potential need for them. You mentioned the need for a CB1 in this in this draft that they can get one, but who knows? I mean, we've got three cornerbacks off the board, so I don't think that you're going to be going there. And with, with this selection, we'll, we'll get your pick in a second, but – who do you think they'll consider? Because we so often do so many mock drafts where we just go, okay, the Steelers are taking a quarterback. Either we're going to have them trading up for Malik Willis, or if Kenny Pickett falls to him, we'll just have Kenny Pickett going at 20, and it'll be like, all right, don't have to worry about the Steelers. Like You don't really have to put a lot of brain power to it. But I think this would be fantastic for our listeners to hear from you who you think some other targets might be. Because if they're not going to trade up for Willis, I agree with you they're probably not going to get him because I think he's going to go a lot higher than that. So if they're sticking to 20, you mentioned corner, but what are some other positions or maybe specific players you think they might really be interested in? You know, I really thought for a while they were going to go interior offensive line. I thought Zion Johnson was a shoe-in of a pick. But when they went and got James Daniels and they really kind of see, they really seem like they're kind of like, okay, we're okay with our interior offensive line. Cause they also, they're bringing back Kevin Dotson. They have a lot of confidence in, he was injured last year for the most part. So I see that being something that I think that they're, they might address it, but later in the draft, it won't be as much of a, of a first round pick. I think offensive tackle, as you saw, there's just too many of those guys flying off the board early in the early part of the first round. They're not, they're not going to get there, but safety is another position I can see them addressing. And I know there's a lot of talk in Steeler nation right now about, can they get the honey badger? Can they get the honey badger? And I'm like, ah, even if they don't, they, they can go get Terrell Edmonds. He's still sitting there right, right now. Mm. And even if they do, I really think with Terrell Austin, the, the new defensive coordinator who's been a secondary coach who's worked closely with Minka Fitzpatrick, I've seen so many practices where as soon as Minka Fitzpatrick and Terrell Evans were done with their reps, they'd walk right to him and they'd just start talking to Terrell Austin like the, the rest of the practice and just going over things. I really think Terrell Austin wants to get athletic guys in the secondary to make this a turnover unit, to make this a group that does, that, that's really good at going after the ball, creating, making those plays in the ball once in the air and creating some of those turnovers. So also don't be afraid. Don't, don't be surprised if the Steelers are taking an early look at safety. I really like Lewis seen. I know Kyle Hamilton's going to be gone. There's no question about that, right. but I really like Lewis scenes tape from, uh, from, from Georgia. He's fast, hits like a Mack truck can make, make plays in the ball. Guys like that are game changers for the Steelers. And I'm telling you, I'm really struggling, struggling not picking him. Because I know some people are like, ah, he should be going later. But I, I don't know, man. There's some there's some things about that that's that secondary right now that I think if they get a primo guy out there, it's going to make a big difference. All right, Chris, let's put you on the clock then. We've heard, we've heard it. All. You've been excellent. We've heard corner. We've heard O-line. We've heard a little dabble on quarterback. Now we've heard safety. You are on the clock with the 20th overall pick. The board is broken in a pretty interesting way right now. There's some serious talent out there. What are you going with for the Pittsburgh Steelers? Man, y'all killing me. I really want to meet some Jameis Williams. I really hey, want to meet some me. George. It's not me. It's not <laughs> me. It's not me. 
I really wanted Jordan Davis. I'll tell you mm-hmm. what, we did a locked on uh, mock draft, and I was able to get Jordan Davis at 20. I'm like, who did they get that? <laughs> like, what you doing Not with this that? time. Um, so, okay. I know this may seem unconventional. I know I'm going to get a lot of criticism for this, but I'm quadruple dipping at the cornerback position and going to get an Andrew Booth Jr. Oh, okay. okay. All right. I'm, I'm going for I'm going for this guy because he's physical. He has he knows how to use his length. He plays the ball well when it's in the air. Yes, he's gotten burned. He needs to become a better zone defender. But I think in Terrell Austin's system, they're going to be able to find a way to put him out there, let him let him handle his side, give him a little bit of backup on occasion with, with Minka Fitzpatrick and whoever else they, they wind up at safety. But Andrew Booth Jr., I think, is a potential CB1 who develops over the next few years. He's young enough that you can carry him into the future. And there's no pressure on him to be the superstar right now because, again, they solidified their roster by getting, uh, you know, by keeping uh, Witherspoon, by getting Levi Wallace, by by keeping Cam Sutton. But Justin Lane, eh, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not feeling him as a youngster. You need a new young body. This could be a guy that if he lines up well and if he, he's used to taking on top receivers in the ACC, we saw mm-hmm. him do it a lot at Clemson. I could really see this guy being the boost to the Steelers' defense, um, and this it, it pains me because. Lewis Seen, I think, is a truly interesting prospect who could, I, I, who I would, who I would reach a little bit just to, to, to pull up and slap into the Steelers secondary and let them run some three safety sets. But this team needs a CB one for the future. Like I said, Jamar Chase is there. They're going to be facing all these AFC right. quarterbacks. I think they need to have a truly athletic secondary, and I think Andrew Booth Jr. is the guy to help them at the way if the board falls this way. Hey, corner is a premium position, you know, and yes. it's only getting more and more premium, like Chris said, when these teams just have these arms races of incredible wide receivers. Yeah. Sometimes it's two, three, four deep. You got to have the good corners to be able to cover them. Connor, what do you think about this? I, this makes a t- I like that Chris brought in something that is maybe viewed as unconventional in mock drafts right now, but people are forgetting with Andrew Booth, probably because he's been hurt and hasn't been able to work out. This yeah. is a former five-star player. Yes. Uh, you said Talk it. This is a it. pretty you know scheme-diverse player. I do agree. The zone coverage needs work, but you can see a situation where if you are flipping coverages, he's somebody that can hold up in both. He's got the length. He's got the downfield speed. And it isn't, it's how we started the show, right? I asked you, what is an underrated need for the Pittsburgh Steelers that nobody's talking about, nobody's putting in the mock drafts? And you opened it up with saying people are overlooking this cornerback group. So you stuck with your analysis from the very beginning. Uh, and I like it a lot. There we go. Chris, Chris, this, I mean, there was nobody else that we could have for the Pittsburgh Steelers. You know that. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. I appreciate the heat, the knowledge, everything, man. I like the Andrew Booth pick. I think he is an underrated player in this class. And look at the Steelers need secondary. We've seen this over the last couple of years. The best teams, they get loaded at secondary to cover it as these other teams load up on wide receivers. You got to be able to cover some of these guys. So follow him on Twitter at Carter Critiques. Follow all of his great work at Locked On Steelers. Chris, thank you so much for joining us, man. Thanks, guys. All right, there we go. 20 picks down in the guest mock draft series, but that's not all from this series this week. On Thursday, we got somebody, a very special guest. I'm not going to ruin it. You guys got to tune in to make sure that you hear it. Very special guest on with us to recap the top 20 of this mock draft, as well as get picks 21 and 22 for the New England Patriots and the Green Bay Packers. That's on Thursday. We'll see you guys then. 